2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 is my golden text for this subject today. And uh, I'm going to remind you that the world has fallen because of Adam's sin, but that salvation has come through Jesus Christ, and it is available to all. And I want you to see this here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, never sinned, lived a sinless life, okay, pure, obedient, holy, come on, but yet he made him to be sin on our behalf. And if you want to really crack the code on that, when you have some time, go to Isaiah 53 and read about the suffering servant who bore our sin on Calvary. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Who did? God did. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This makes me emotional because this is unearned and undeserved, but this is, to me, the master stroke of God's love. This is, in fact, the good news in its essence. Now, I want to tell you there are a lot of theological viewpoints in the world. There's righteousness according to works. The Reformation reacted to that, and theologians brought in a, a dimension of, of predestination to a, one extreme of, of, of learning how to get it by works, and the other extreme by damned if you do, damned if you don't. Pardon my phrasing, but those were the phrases during the colonial period when people had to grapple with these uh, theological extremes. But I think these theological extremes of righteousness by works or righteousness by uh, some of you are going to do it, some of you are not going to make it, I'm telling you, that to me, at the hinge point is in John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And we'll look at this on the screen. John 3, 16 and 17, to me, distill and bring the totality of the law and the prophets and the gospel and the epistles right into a focus. This is like taking a magnifying glass out on a sunny day and getting it just right where you can concentrate the beam. My kids told me and showed me, online uh, a YouTube video of some scientists that figured out a way to harness the intensity of the sun with a certain type of magnifying system uh, somewhere in a European country. Some physicists put this thing together and they would stick a two by four in there and it would just light up on fire. But what was really amazing is they took a bar of steel and put it in there and it just melted clear through. I thought, wow, you know. And I think that's what John 3:16 and 17 do for all of us. It brings the truth of, and the life and the nature of who God is in essence and brings it to us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him. Hear the word of the Lord. Meditate on the value of that amazing invitation. Let's analyze it and go back to verse 16. That God, God, the creator of all things, the judge of the universe, whose just, justice is very specified, and he does not lie, he does not sin, he does not vacillate, he never changes. 
yet so loved the world, valued humanity so much that he gave his only begotten son. I have two sons and two daughters. One of my daughters' birthday is today. And uh, I love them so much. But God loves so much more than any human could ever have the capacity for. I, I just deeply love my kids and grandkids. I love our church. I love you guys. I even love my enemies. I don't like a lot of them, but I love them. <laughs> you know what I mean. Because we're supposed to. And we must. And we shall. And it comes and emanates out of this truth. See, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now look at what happens. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. Now whoever includes everybody and excludes nobody. And again, several times, you, even John Calvin said the way you can establish a doctrine is if it's said twice in the scriptures. And there are a number of occasions where it says God desires no one to perish but all to have everlasting life. Lift up your eyes, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest, thrust forth laborers. So I'm, my prayer is that you'll get this so downloaded into your core that you'll become a preacher of righteousness and a new creation person who understands the desperation of the fall of humanity and its perplexing bondage, but yet the liberator has come. And this is the amazing potential. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Makes perfect sense that the devil, the accuser of the brethren, would make us un uncertain and insecure concerning such a vital subject as our eternity. I remember witnessing to people and I say, are you saved? We say, I hope so. And I grew up in my Bible school, the teacher taught that you could have no-so salvation. Not glib, not based on works, not self-righteous, but definitely an awareness that 2 Corinthians 5.21 is true in all cases. That he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Watch this. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Righteousness is the state or the condition of being made right with God. All of the requirements are appeased. And when Jesus died, his blood was shed. And in Hebrews, it even implies that he went in on that legal, technical, priest, high priest role as they did in the Old Testament patterns and offered up the blood on the altar. And the sentence was paid and the price was paid and humanity had the possibility for justification. He who knew no sin was made to be sin on our behalf. Remember what God promised in the garden and you should delve into Genesis 1, 2, and 3 if you're going to really understand the doctrine of righteousness because God is righteous and in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. He kept saying it was good, 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 very good said it wasn't good for the man to be alone. He made Eve, Adam and Eve, this bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, be fruitful and multiply. It got so excited that God gave us choice, free will, so we wouldn't just be pre-programmed robots. 
and uh, put a tree in the garden to give us opportunity to obey him. And unfortunately, Lucifer tricked Adam and Eve. They yielded, they sinned, they forfeited. It was high treason committed by Adam and Eve. Called the fall of man. Satan temporarily has usurped the authority. Jesus, uh, Paul acknowledged in 2 Corinthians 4.4 that the devil is the god of this world. Luke chapter 4, Jesus was tempted in all points as we. And at one point he was tempted with Jesus by, by the enemy. Jesus was tempted with Lucifer saying, look at all these kingdoms. They're mine to give and I give them to whom I will. And Jesus did not say, you're a liar, that's false, because it's true. And also, it was tempting for Jesus. And the reason it was tempting is because, in fact, the father of lies was telling the truth at that point. That he, in fact, is the temporary small g God of this world. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And yet, 1 John chapter 5, because of the word of righteousness, everyone that's born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory which has overcome the world, even our faith. And who has overcome the world but he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. So the reason I'm preaching righteousness is because in righteousness, listen, two verses if you want to take notes that I think are so profound. Isaiah 32, 17 and Isaiah 54, 14. A couple of my favorite verses concerning righteousness. Isaiah 32, 17. And the work of righteousness will be peace. The work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. This is that peace that passes understanding that comes to us where we have a blessed assurance. We have confidence in the day of trouble. We know God hears and answers our prayer. We know that we could give our loved ones to God and God will turn it around, even those wayward ones and the prodigal ones and the rebellious ones. And we just refuse around here to let go. Were I to believe in such a deep form of God's dismissiveness with salvation, I would just let everything go. Que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. That is not my theology, nor is it the theology of our church. I believe there's opportunity available to whoever will call upon the name of the Lord. And that even at the deathbed, if somebody lived a deplorable, evil, dark life, full of depravity, that in their last breath to sincerely call upon Jesus, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I believe that. I believe that. And I believe there's a peace that comes with the Prince of Peace that governs our thought life and garrisons round about us when our circumstances are so contrary. And when the storms brew, we know we have an anchor for our souls. When rebellion comes amongst the human race, we know that the greater one can come in and vanquish our enemies and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. And even we tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent, we trample underfoot. The service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. You know, growing up, my mother would get mean and speak evil to me when I was very, very young. I don't hold this against her. She just was messed up. But it had an impact on my life. But then along comes the word of God. 
and all those hindrances and all those scars and all that hurt that affected my self-esteem, my security levels, my viewpoints of myself, outweighed all those previous statements, even though they were coming from an authority figure. And uh, then I really, I just realized she was just insecure and hurt herself. And it helped me. And it's helping me. And it will help me. Hallelujah. So we put our emphasis on what God's word says about things. 1 Corinthians 15, 34, again, says, Awake unto righteousness and sin not. I've been in meetings where I've heard the word of righteousness preached. And it roused me. It broke sin patterns off of me. It helped my mind not to be so carnal and got my mind fixed on spiritual things. When I was a young man, with all the hormones and all the distraction, it would be amazing how that would help me going to a church service and hearing a good word about righteousness and then going and delving into the scripture and reading in Ephesians where to, where to put off the old man and put on the new man and understand what that's like. But then I'd get around groups and just had different doctrine that just brought such concerns and such foreboding and such a, like a dismissive impossibility rejection kind of a thing. It's like, whoa, that's not helpful. But then when you look at how merciful and how good God is, take Isaiah 54, 14, for example. In righteousness, you will be established. This is really why I'm teaching these subjects on Sunday mornings. I felt like, what do I do right now, Lord, with this whole scenario going on in, in the social upheaval of our times, through the election year, through the pandemic, through all the issues that we're having to deal with? Uh, questions about so many things. Well, we have to go to the things that are irrefutable, the, the solid foundation of God's word. And so Friday nights I've been teaching about God being supernatural and miraculous. And I'm teaching a series on the miraculous. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. They'll take it, drink any deadly thing and it shall not harm them. And they went out everywhere and the Lord worked with them. And he confirmed the word with signs following. God hears and answers your prayers. So I thought I better get our people focused on what matters most. Because I was birthed in a context very similar to the context we're in now. Late 60s, early 70s, Southern California. We weren't called millennials. We were called boomers. But we were disenfranchised, anti-establishment, counterculture, uh, weren't in church. And a lot of people are talking about the millennials right now, saying all those same things. Well, good news. I watched the Lord rescue me out of the exact same pattern and bring me into robust faith and change my whole worldview so he could do it again. So you're not going to hear me be dismissive and wring my hands and be all upset about this young generation. I am trusting God that if he could do it with me, he could do it again. And that he's faithful. And that we'll have to run to catch up with our young people. Because they'll be so appreciative, having been dismissive of the Lord prior to these encounters, then they'll have these encounters with God. And it'll engage their emotions, it'll engage their logic, it'll engage their rationale, and it'll engage their spirit, and they'll become alive to God, and they'll walk righteously. My prayer also is they won't go flaky. 
And this is what God did for me when I became a Christian in the Jesus movement. It was all about testimonies. It was all about our feeling so different. It was all about me. And, you know, we were so selfish. And then and we had wonderful music that people took Christian truths and modern melodies and just brought these things to a, a you know, a, a presence and just a relevance. And, and then, uh, but then God injected good teaching around 1975. And good teaching started to come in, at least in the circles I was in. There was already good teaching and amongst the Assemblies of God or the Baptists and some of these others. Uh, but there wasn't in the context of this flourishing, new, budding group that I was part of. And, but yet God brought stability. There were still some winds of doctrine that twerked and things like that. But yet there was soundness that came. And so there needs to be in this hour an understanding of who God is, who we are in Christ, why we need him, the contrast between sin that separates and righteousness that includes and brings us in and how we obtain that righteousness. No, you don't earn it. No, you can't deserve it. But yes, you must receive it. It's a gift. As many as received him, for John chapter 1, verse 12, to them he gives the right and the power to become the children of God. I'm just not ashamed of these things. I literally believe that John 3.16 is absolutely emphatically true. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Go back to the Old Testament. In Isaiah 54.14, in righteousness you will be established. You will be far from oppression. Now, because I believe in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I feel as a pastor, I have to hunker down and build a case to help you to overcome this pervasive spirit of fear that's trying to stir up the nations. The Bible says people in the end times, their hearts will fail for fear. Their hearts will fail for fear. Well, in Proverbs 4, it says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. So you marry Friday night to Sunday morning at family church. I believe that God is supernatural. He's extraordinary, and his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth, looking for people whose hearts are his. He may strongly support. I believe in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, so do you. The people who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I believe exploits are what you and I are created and designed for. Ephesians 2.10, you are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. It's fantastic when you understand that, because then you have destiny, then you have purpose, then you have identity, then you know where you're going and with whom you're going. Lord, if that's you, bid me come, Peter said. Jesus said, come, and he stepped out of the boat. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? He said, I am. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He loves you with an everlasting love, and you are positioned with a ministry of reconciliation and with the word of reconciliation. This is really the primary. Look, I didn't get called into the ministry to build a ministry. I got called in the ministry to cooperate with God and obey the Holy Spirit. And what God's leading me to do 
is equip the saints for the works of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. He said, I will build my church. He said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hey, man, when Ralph Wilkerson bought the Melody Land uh, music place out there in California, he didn't know who I was. He's just trying to cooperate with the Lord. And he's one of those mighty uh, people that's yielding to God during a transitional time from the 50s, 60s into the early 70s, anti-war demonstrations, uh, uh, racial disharmony, socioeconomic problems, ecological emphasis, all the variables that were happening, very similar in this cycle again, that what we're in again. Thank God the church rolled up its sleeves and with the effect of righteousness, knowing that they were complete in Christ, lacking nothing, knowing that they were the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath, knowing that they're a new creation, a new species of being which never before existed, that helped them to dispel and not yield to or drink the Kool-Aid of the social maladies of the times. They were not conformed to this world, but they were transformed by the renewing of their minds. So they saw with a periscope transcendently above what was happening in the turbulence of the, of the, of the immediate, and they were lifting up their eyes and looking unto the author and finisher of their faith. And as they were, they were getting ins insights, and they were getting answers, and they were getting equipment, and they were becoming available to the Holy Spirit, and they were becoming available to help the organized denominational church to get a freshness and a revival in the cold formalism to be pushed away, and new birth truth to come, and the movement of the Holy Spirit to come, and the lost generation that I was part of. God picked us up leveraged us out of the darkness, and he's doing it again. So I'm trying to teach, and I'd like to just, I have so much good teaching and so many pages of the fall of man, how human beings were created in the likeness and image of God, and that God gave humans capability far above the animal kingdom, that the devil in the form of a serpent caused Eve to doubt the truthfulness of God. The fall opened the floodgates of sin and sorrow and sickness and death on the human family, which created separation. All history and the human uh, conscience and intelligence bear witness to the universal depravity of man. Depravity touches the whole being, spirit, soul, and body. Yet Christ, our Redeemer, has, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. His sacrificial death means atonement for our sins, and it means the possibility in this redemption through his blood of forgiveness according to the riches of God's grace. And I want our church to understand this and be proficient in this because we're going to be rubbing shoulders with people with all kinds of biases and actually with a lot that devoid of understanding. I came in on the scene, I knew very little about the things of God. And I'm so grateful the Lord brought me with into a context of people that were authentic. The people that stand out in my experience are people who didn't hide in their humanity Great ministers like John and Dodie Osteen that just would be you know, honest about their marriage and honest about their thought life, honest about their fears and insecurities, but also very honest about how great the potential was and how good our God is. They didn't embellish it. They didn't have such self-deprecation. It was a balance. And I, it's easy to be extreme. It's hard to be balanced. 
I, I, I'm annoyed by people that are more spiritual than God, and I'm also annoyed by the tendency to be carnal. I, I don't want either one of those things in my life. Before I point the finger, I want to take the beam out of my own eye so I can, maybe can help the brother or sister with a speck in their eye, right? Because those are human tendencies. I'm going to be more spiritual than everybody else, or, or I'm going to, you know, just kind of, why even bother? You know, you can't, why even try? And we don't want either one of those extremes. We just want to settle in on, in, in righteousness, you will be established. You will be far from oppression, and you will not fear, and from terror, for it will not come near you. I'll tell you, this will put a, this will put a reinforcement in your system. This will help you to be confident. You know, the things my mother said to me when I was five, six, seven years old throughout my whole life were designed to demean, belittle, uh, terrible, uh, at times demonic things over the years, sometimes three, four hours at a time. So, you know, we think, well, I got to read my Bible. I just read my Bible for 15 minutes. That was like, you know, I might fast for one day. Like, I would have hours of attack. So it's like you need hours to get your mind renewed, right? Like, I'm grateful God put me in this situation in church because I would try to go wing it and do it. My, I used to ride my bike. We'd get our Stingray bicycles, and we'd get up in the morning when we could, and we'd ride off into the sunset, and we wouldn't come back till dinner, get in all kinds of mischief. And, um, you know, I would just be an isolationist. And uh, God, you know, he, he said, hey, I, I want you to be consistent in church. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to really see to it that you're consistent in church. I'm going to have you live in church. It's a gift to me. I get it. It's like God's like, I'm one of those guys that just, God just, you just need to live there. So here we are, learning, developing, growing up in all aspects in him. We're the head and not the tail. We're uniquely created. We're loved as individuals by the Lord Jesus, and then we're brought together as a collective and that these are our companions around us, and that we are joined together, and we're planted, and we're the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, and that the emphasis on right standing with God made available through Jesus' work on Calvary should become our main signature life message focus point. Not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. And our message is not self-actualization and us helping God out, because we couldn't pull ourselves out of the pit. When I got lost at sea, I paddled as hard as I could. I kept getting pulled out by a strong current into the open sea of New Zealand and the Pacific Ocean in an isolated place, uninhabited island called Three Kings, 80 miles off the north tip of New Zealand, away from everybody, only one boat on all this chain of islands. Nobody lived there, and there were no other boats at the time. A couple days later, some people came out, but we were alone out there. And um, I realized specifically that no amount of my effort could save me. I had to have help from the outside. And again, I, you know, I cried, I prayed, cried out to God. I didn't cry, I prayed, cried out to God, and God did a miracle. That's why I believe in miracles. That's just one of the, Captain Pete prayed, the, the, the uh, the pastors that were on the boat were upset because they were trying to, they were worried about how they were going to have to tell Patsy that they lost me. They thought I got tangled up in a, in a, uh, in a spear line and I got, I drowned because that happens. 
Uh, the fish we were shooting were, you know, 30 to 60 pounds, and they could pull you under. And, uh, but yet the guy found me. And, you know, I've shared this story. I think I shared it every day for about three years. But just for you guys online, I, I was spearfishing with some friends, and I got lost in sea. I got caught up in a current. The Captain Pete prayed, and then he aimed his boat and went straight out into the open sea, one and a half miles, and went right up on me, found me, pulled me out. And uh, so I'm a living testimony of a miraculous answer to prayer. But that experience, though, is very, very deep, pales in comparison to the Redeemer, aiming his purposes straight at lost humanity and going right into the ink-black pit of our sin and coming and rolling up his sleeves and redeeming us from hell, that if anyone calls upon the name of the Lord, they'll be saved. That's the force of righteousness. That's the message that I want to get over to you today. Let's stand up on our feet. You will be not fear and from terror, for it will not come near you. Let me tell you something. After 9-11, I remember having a memorial in the building. And I remember the pervasive power of fear that was on humanity. We thought we were, our nation was being attacked, and it was. And I remember how people felt. You remember it? I remember when the flood of 93 hit this church, and we felt so hurt and like, a, like victimized. But we knew we could not get in self-pity. And we knew God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Because of our theology, we also knew God didn't put that on us as a test. God didn't even allow it on us to teach us something. It was just an occasion where we needed God and God came through for us. God didn't motivate my mom to say the things she said. God didn't motivate drugs to come your way where you become an addict. It's just part of the fall, okay? And it's just the way it goes. And it's our collective pervasive problem. So we're all, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that helps us not to be self-righteous and grade-eight sin. In fact, don't let the devil or society bait you to say this sin is particularly bad. The only sin that is damnable is the sin of rejecting Jesus. There's a sin unto death that must be avoided. And it's the sin of rejecting Jesus. And so we must avoid that sin at all costs. But, but let me tell you, that Jesus, the Redeemer, who knew no sin, was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might be made, get this, the righteousness of God in Christ. In righteousness. There's a minister who had a moral failure years ago. He used to speak against the charismatic movement and he was harsh and he taught against it, didn't believe in it. I didn't care. When I heard that he made a mistake, I called him and I said, hey man, just want you to know I'm praying for you. I just had a burden for senior pastors because I am a senior pastor and I know what it's like, the, the attacks, the criticisms, the weird spiritual battles. He and his wife joined our church. They stayed here for two years. He came up to me at the end of the two years of healing and he said I know why God established the charismatic church and he had tears in his eyes he said because people get healed in it I found out later just I found out just a few weeks ago I was the only guy that called him that just ought not be when people are falling and we should roll up our sleeves and help them out if they'll receive 
There's some people I tried to help and they tore my lips off and tried to pull me in the deep end. That was stupid. We're not supposed to be hero rescuers if people don't want to be helped. But if people do want to be helped, we should help them and be led by the Holy Spirit with it. And, and because we have this force of righteousness in us, not self-righteousness, not a righteousness of our own that's coming from works, just this amazing gift, then we just are carriers of this message that there's hope for the woman at the well. There's hope for Nicodemus, the posh guy that's inaccessible because of his poshness. We ought to be able to reach the down and outers and the up and outers with the same message of redemption. Co-workers on your, on your work site, the restaurant owner or the bus boy or the gas station attendant or the, whatever ethnicities or nationalities or, or gender or age. We ought to believe God that the word of righteousness will go out in power and people will become informed that there's hope in Christ and you can be saved from this crooked and perverse generation. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you that in righteousness we are established. We're far from oppression and we shall not fear and from terror for it will not come near us. The effect of righteousness will be peace and the service of righteousness, quietness and confidence forever. Listen, you've heard my message. You need Jesus to become your Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says that if you or I or we, anybody, confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Shall is one of the most assertive words in the English languages. It's emphatic. It means it's done. It will be, it will happen. It is, it, it is a fact. It is an absolute. For with the mouth confession is made and the result is salvation. With the heart man believes and the result is righteousness. How many of you have a heart? Put your hand on your heart. Put one hand up toward heaven. And say in righteousness, I am established. I have peace. I'm far from oppression. God's not given me a spirit of fear or terror. I'm confident forever in my God. It revolutionizes my prayer life. It gives me bold, confident entry into God's presence. This fertilizes my faith, opens doors, provides opportunity, causes growth, shifts my focus off of darkness, off of sin and Satan, and onto the light to my Lord Jesus. I am victorious. I overcome. I am more than a conqueror in him. I can run through a troop, leap over a wall. I have a destiny. God's purposes shall surely come to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Be blessed. Go out and have a good day. Fellowship with each other. Hang out out on the patio.